Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode number 469. Jerry Springer was the 56th mayor of this Ohio city before going into television. We've got an Ohio native here with me today. So, J-Rob, start thinking about what that is. Everyone else... Think of what city that might be, and I'll let you know in just a second. This old city's name. See your breath on window pane. Let's just talk till it strikes again. On my way through, I saw you on my way. Hey everyone, I'm Trav and joining me today is someone who has, who has bought a bitchin' baby blue van. I got a tooth pulled in Budapest and man, this must have been a crazy trip to Budapest because he also got a tattoo started in Budapest but finished in Mexico. My good buddy, surfing partner, Ohio native and author of the Beginner Traveler's Guide to Going Nomad, Jason Robinson, or you're going to hear him called J-Rob, from the nomadexperiment.com. You are an Ohio native, J-Rob. Do you know what city Jerry Springer was the mayor of? I have no clue. All right, take a guess. Take a, take a, a guess of an Ohio city. Akron. Not Akron. Jerry Springer, mayor of Cincinnati. Interesting. Yeah. I, I did know that he was a mayor, but I didn't know it was Cincinnati. So, um, yes. Do you feel more proud or less proud now having grown up in Ohio? more proud not sure why well i mean he's famous yes he almost ran apparently he almost ran for senate um and then i guess decided a, a career in tv was better i mean and probably more famous having been jerry springer from the jerry springer show than if he had been in the senate i've never been a trivia guy but i'm sure this will come up someday in a bar trivia i you and you will get it and you may win Quizzo just for that. A free margarita because you heard of this on the Extra Pack of Peanuts show. So, J-Rob, you're here. We're sitting together in my house here in North Carolina, which is awesome because we get to go do this show live. And as we're recording live, you actually have a really cool project. I just want to start from the very beginning, like like right from the beginning, getting this out there. You have a really cool project that's coming out and is on Kickstarter at this moment. So if you guys are listening when we re- when we record it, I want you to know about this because you can back it on Kickstarter. And if you miss the Kickstarter, then it'll be out in the big wide world. Mm -hmm. So tell everyone about this. This is a cool project. Uh, So the book is called The Beginner Traveler's Guide to Going Nomad. And it is essentially a, it's kind of a, a, a Kickstarter, tough love, strategies, tips for people that have been dragging their feet about travel for way too long and just, you know, letting analysis paralysis take hold to where years go by and their passport, you know, if they have a passport. I was going to say, maybe that <laughs> most of these people might not even have one. Yeah, you know, like me, I got my passport whenever I was 25 years old. I got one stamp in it and it expired six years later, seven years later after that stamp. And, and you know, it's like a lonely, lonely passport. And, and I think a lot of people do that. So 
after I went through, you know, the story that we'll talk about, uh, I just wanted to create something that allowed other people to get out of their own way and, and start getting over these hurdles that I think a, a lot of people have as they get older and they don't travel. It gets a little bit more difficult to get started if you don't have somebody kind of holding your hand. So yeah, we have a lot of people come on the show who have either traveled all their life or just knew they wanted to travel all their life. Mm-hmm. You know, I asked that question to a lot of guests. Hey, when were you bit with the travel bug or can you pinpoint a moment or a few moments in time that really started that travel momentum? And for a lot of people, it was either early because of their parents or, uh, you know, I did a study abroad in college. So they were 18, 20 or something like that. But you're in a bit of a different boat, as you mentioned. And there's a lot of people out there in that boat of, you know, they maybe they want to travel. Maybe they don't kn- even know if they want to travel, but they they haven't done it, and they're a little afraid. Would that be the right word? Or maybe not even afraid, but just like I should have done it, and now I'm, it's kind of past. Like my opportunity has has sailed away. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people run from the word fear because it's one of those like pride swallowing words where we don't want to say that we're feel fearful of something. So apprehension, fear, um, you know, things like that. That you know, again if you don't do something for a long time or if you've never done something, it, it seems to become that much harder to do. So, uh, yeah, like you mentioned, I, my background is that growing up, all I did was camp and hike and we maybe went six times to Arkansas from Ohio. Under, why why under, Arkansas? Under, my grandparents had land down on the okay. Spring River in Arkansas, so we would go down there and camp for like a week every other year, get in the old grocery getter and look out the back window for eight hours and drive down there. Um, but, you know, up until I was 19 years old, I had never been to but a couple of states, and I, and I went to Canada then. Um, when I was 25, I, I, I was working for a, a design studio in Charlotte, and I went to London, and that was it. Like I never had anybody that took me on trips. I never had anybody that taught me how to do it. So, you know, by that point in my life, I'd only been to you know two places. And when you went to London, so that was a lonely passport stamp. The yep. a, a UK passport stamp. Did it? Was it just felt like a one off? Like, did it spur anything on you to say, "Oh, I want to see more," or did you did you come home just saying, "All right, I guess that's that." So, so that experience was really interesting because as a graphic designer, seeing design and architecture and also, you know, the public transportation, you know, that's not a design thing, but I hadn't been introduced to public transportation like that ever. So the London underground. So just seeing no trains the, between Ohio and Arkansas, not really a lot, you know, <laughs> just the old gray no subways, bus. no subways. So, so yeah, you know, seeing, seeing all these things, just, I, I feel, it, it feels like an ignorant statement, but it's just reality of somebody who's never traveled. Like I saw this stuff and I was like, Oh Wow they're doing these things in other places around the world. Like you just, you know, I, I was in such this, this bubble of, of not, of not understanding really what was going on around the world that, you know, it's, you don't know what you don't know. And I just had never seen anything that, that opened my eyes like that, even though I'd seen things in books and magazines, like actually starting to experience that. I was like, Oh man, this is really cool that, you know, I see this package every day in the U S but then I go over to Europe and I see it and I'm like, it's different. It's designed different. It's like all these things just kind of started to open my eyes, but you know, it was actually a little bit later, you know, that didn't, that didn't plant the travel bug for me because it was a one-off trip. It was, you know, it was a work trip. So it was kind of paid for. I didn't have to deal with any of the logistics. It was all taken care of for me. So it was a bit of an anomaly, but a couple years later, my coworker Gage, um, who, who is still one of my great friends today and like a you know, travel concierge, um, 
he and his girlfriend said, we're going to sell everything and go travel Europe and Asia for as long as our money will hold out. And, and we're all like, um, excuse me? Like, it, this was the first time I had ever heard of anything like this. And, you know, so so I'm 43 right now. So so when this conversation was happening, it was like 28, so 15 years ago. Um, digital nomad was not a thing. Like, location independence was, was barely a, a word that was invented at that point he actually sent me a book that said something to the effect of how to build a life of location independence it's the first time i ever heard that mm. phrase and it was about 28 yeah. years old so that was when he when they did that and they started to travel from europe over to asia they, they spent eight months traveling on seventeen thousand dollars between the two of them and he started blogging about it. And that was the first time that I saw a blog about alternative travel and all these different things. And it started to open my eyes. And that's really when the seed was planted to this idea that travel didn't need to be this massively expensive thing and that there were all these alternative forms and ways to do it. And that was even before things, you know, started heating up like they are now with, with, you know, the opportunities that you can have. So when, when he went and started travel blogging and you said, Hey, this is a possibility. Did it seem like a possibility for you? It started to become more of a possibility just because somebody in my immediate sphere was doing it. It wasn't some intangible person out there, you know, just like now when, when you see somebody on Instagram or you see, you know, somebody uh, who's a writer or a podcaster doing it, it's a little bit intangible because you don't feel them close to you. You don't have conversations with them. Like this was one of my best friends who is doing it in front of me. He literally had a tag sale at his, at his, they had a tag sale at their condo and they put tags on everything for like, you know, this is $5, this is $10. And they invited us all over on a Saturday, all their friends and family and people were walking out with their possessions because that's how they were going to start funding their trip. Like to, to be a, in the midst of something like that happening, it changes your perspective on, you know, you can read books all day long, but until you start trying it and doing it or seeing somebody physically doing it in front of you, it's still somewhat intangible. What was the first thing that made it tangible for you uh, uh, and by that I mean not his trip but like where you started doing it for yourself and implementing it in your own life so he they did that around when I was 27 or 28 it took until he, he started encouraging me he they tried their first hostel on that trip um, he started talking about couch surfing and you know they were just meeting people in in a restaurant or in a bar and then they start chatting and then the, the next day they're on that person's boat out in a harbor, like hanging out. So I started to see these, these things opening up and he started encouraging me to um, look at couch surfing and looking at hostels, obviously. So, but I, it took me two and a half years to try my first couch surf. So I was 30 years old and I finally tried my first couch surf. And that was really where I was like, you know, the course of that weekend, I, I just really opened my eyes to the fact that it cost me very little money but the experience that I had over that weekend was astronomical. Where was that? Couch Savannah, there? Georgia. Okay, so you stayed within the U.S. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You you said you were in Ohio at that point or Charlotte? I was in Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay, so you went not very far <laughs> to that point to, and said, all right, I'm just going to give this a go. Like, felt, you know, obviously uncomfortable because you were couch surfing, you had never done it, but pretty comfortable because you were staying within the same mm -hmm. geographic region. Yeah. It's one of the things it's one of the things that I talk about in the book is, you know, I think there's there's a an ill-fated perception out there that you have to 
go crazy. Like you got to jump off the deep end if you're, or if you're going to do something or tear off the bandaid and, and, and go full bore. When in reality, I encourage people to, to start slow, like do something that makes you feel comfortable. So, you know, with something like work away or, you know, the opportunity to go volunteer and trade time for something, you don't have to go across the world to try that. Try it in the town next to you or, or try couch surfing in your own town or just meeting some people in your own town and, and starting to feel it out a little bit, but at least you're getting started. And that's what I did back then. I was like, how, you know, I, I had trepidation because I had never traveled before, you know, I didn't have somebody coming with me to hold my hand and it was like, okay, you're going to have to do this. So what's the lowest hanging fruit for you to do that? Um, my friend Tess, again, you know, she's a, still a great friend of mine to this day. She, she encouraged me to buy the bitch in blue van. Actually, I, I drove down to Savannah like five years ago and I was like, I just need to talk to somebody. And we went out to a bar and I was like, I'm thinking about buying this van. And she's like, buy the fucking van. <laughs> and, and she's like, just do it. Like, you can always get rid of it, but you need to try this. So anyways, um, every time you go to Savannah, it's a big life change, right? <laughs> every single yes. time you step foot in that city, yes. there's something, something yeah, pivotal. I, happens. I need to go back. Um, but, but, but no, it was, um, she was an ambassador for couch surfing and I don't think they have these anymore, but essentially they used to have ambassadors and they were certain people in each city who hosted so many couch surfers that they were kind of, they were like highly vetted and they were a source in that city for couch surfing. And she used to host over 200 people a year. So that weekend, that night, I met two other couch surfers. One was staying with her friend and I think the other one was staying with us. And then the next night I'd met another couch surfer. So we had, you know, five or six or seven people between her friends and these couch surfers over those two days that were from all different walks of life. One of them had rode in like 600 miles that day on his bike. The other one had just biked across the U.S. Um, a month or two prior. Like I was meeting these people that were A, five or 10 years younger than me. She was, uh, Tess was 23 at the time and I was 30. So, and she had just traveled Europe for a month on like $200. And they were, you know, doing crazy, like camping on the side of the road, like all these crazy adventures for these people that were younger than me and having more experiences. And um, so, yeah, that weekend was just, so eye-opening to me and, it, and I have such good memories of kind of breaking the ice on my on my travel with that weekend. Couchsurfing, I, I remember when I first found out about it, it was a very unique experience for me too or, or I just didn't know that that existed. And I made a profile. I actually got a message. I don't even know how it came through to a new email. Um, it was about a year ago and I must still have a profile up there somehow. <laughs> Of when I lived in Japan. And so it was like, oh, I'm looking for a place to stay in Japan, this and that. I'm coming through on a bike trip because, you know, bike, a lot of people who do bike trips use couch surfing and all. And I remember seeing this somehow ping up and thinking, wow, <laughs> like how how is someone finding this couch surfing mm -hmm. profile? But what a, what a neat experience, like what a neat opportunity it provided and then neat experience for you because as you mentioned, it wasn't just the experience that you were meeting a host but usually when I was part of that couchsurfing community, it was that you didn't just go in and meet that host, but there was other people around or there was other couchsurfing meetups around or there's other people staying. And so all of a sudden you've got your little pack, right? And it might only be a couple of days that you're there, but you're not just going for yourself. You're, you're then having your eyes open to all these other experiences. Like why are all these other people congregating in Savannah? Mm -hmm. Oh, you came from um, Charlotte. All right, this person had biked in. That person was from you know, over in Europe, whatever. And you're like, you can have a little mini 
you know, United Nations kind of thing <laughs> going on just just from being in a, a part of couch surfing or something similar to that. Yeah, and there's so many more of them nowadays. You know, couch surfing was what I broke into, and couch surfing is still around. But there's, you know, there's more of those types of communities around the world, um, you know, amongst many, many other things now that that exist. So, you know, just using that couch surfing as an example to break in. But you know, there's you know, world packers and other things that are very similar models, um, depending on what country you're in and stuff like that. And and even couch surfing has changed a little bit to where still a lot of couch surfing, but also there's community meetups and, you know, just meeting up in general. So I've, you know, I think a year or two ago I was on Portland and, and I went on their, their, uh, the app and you can just find people that are in the city that just want to grab a beer or grab some coffee. So there's these ways of, of breaking in that, you know, to, to be at your comfort zone while your comfort zone is getting extended. So instead of just going all in, you can, kind of ease into the waters what was the next extension of your comfort zone for you after that savannah trip so it took me another two years to finally try a hostel so roughly okay so you're on a two-year timeline <laughs> at that point i was okay yeah, so um it was yeah 27 28 i was introduced to these ideas it took me two years to kind of you know i don't want to say get up to the courage but to finally get out of my own way and try couch surfing. And then two years later, I, I, I had just ended a, a rough relationship, you know, recently or not, not a rough relationship. It was a rough end of the relationship. Um, and I was sitting there and I was frustrated and I'm like, you know what? Like no one's, no one's going to come and do this for you. Like it's clear that you, right now you got to play the cards you're dealt. So are you going to sit here and whine that you don't have somebody to travel with? Or are you just going to do it? You're going to figure it out. And I remember sitting down with a with a browser window open of flights to Austin, Texas, and a browser window open with a hostel in Austin, Texas, Hosteling International Austin, because I had heard that Austin was cool. That's it. That's all I was going on. Um, and there were cheap flights from Charlotte to Austin. Uh, there still are. And I, I saw that there was availability for both. They lined up and I said, just do it. And I, it was late at night. I'd probably had quite a few drinks and I just booked them. And then of course, everything opens up. Like one of my rules, just book, just buy the damn ticket. Like once you buy the ticket, you'll figure out the rest of the stuff. It's usually the, the hemming and hawing about buying the ticket that you, you waste time on or some people waste time on. Um, but yeah, I went down to Austin and, and stayed at a hostel for a week. And it was another one of those situations where, you know, I was breaking my comfort zone wide open by just staying in a hostel and, and, and breaking down all these misconceptions that I had built up about what a hostel might be. Um, which I think I, I don't even think I know there's so many Americans that still have such misconceptions about what hostels actually are. Um, I remember one of the first goals when I set out to do extra pack of peanuts after I started going to hostels was just to break. And I think I even wrote a uh, post it was like the seven myths about hostels that mm -hmm. I didn't put I wasn't this cheeky but like it was essentially the seven myths about hostels that Americans believe because we know that Europeans Australians I mean around the world hostels are it's just a it's just another way of having an accommodation whether it be that you want a more social element you want it to be cheaper you want it to be more unique um, especially this is when Airbnb wasn't around as much. So you were kind of going big box hotel or local owned hotel or hostel. And I, for whatever reason, yeah, in the U.S. And I remember my thought process too was just kind of like, oh, this is a beat up, grungy, dirty thing. Yeah. And then I went to some, I thought, 
this is dope. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. these are awesome. Now, I've been in some beat up, crunchy, dirty yeah. ones, of course. But I, I, I don't, I still don't know why that misconception kind of hit Americans and more it still than is. it's still yeah. there. It's so I, I funny. There, it. there was a, a B movie, you know, called Hostel, and it was sure. all people. Like people still say that to me, like, oh, it's like, it's like that movie. And it's like, how does something like that, that minuscule in our pop culture, all of a sudden permeate to a degree to where it actually affects people's opinions? And it, and in my opinion, it limits their opportunities whenever, you know, they're not figuring out that, you know, now, especially in the past five or 10 years, hostels have come into this new age where there are what, what are called boutique hostels. Yep. I've stayed in hostels where there's a sauna. I mean, there's plenty of hostels with pools and hot tubs, but I was in one in Ireland last year and they had a sauna if you wanted to use, I mean, there's really high end hostels in, in the fact that you can have your own room. Like you can get a, a, a room with you and the person you're traveling with and still enjoy that communal aspect of being in the hostel, which is what I really love as a solo traveler. You know, generally I'm a solo traveler, and I'm fairly introverted when I'm not with my friends. So for me to actually plot myself in an environment where they are planning things for you and they're getting people together to go on ghost tours or go to, a, you know, I, I saw a baseball game with, with a hostel group once. They, they had $5 tickets to a pro baseball game. And I'm like, heck yeah, I'm going to go to that. So, you know, for somebody who's introverted and not, you know, not quick to, to just start jumping into relationships, you know, with friends it gives me that opportunity to break the ice for myself. So, but yeah, there's, you know, there's such a new dynamic to hostels these days. And, but, but the one thing that hasn't changed is that it, they're, they're social. They're, they're, there's so That's many the aspects. Yep. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. the main difference between a hotel or, and a hostel is the social element. Yep. Like you're building stuff around communal dinners possibly, yep. or these events that you said, the one thing that i actually don't like about airbnbs because i'm a big fan of renting apartments and airbnbs and stuff like that is that you miss you really miss out on that now if you're going somewhere and the host is there and you know we've had really good experiences with hosts and stuff who have shown us around but kind of the point of airbnb is more like give me my own space unless you're booking in a private room which is isn't kind of the way airbnb is trending right it's more hey i want a house or i want my own apartment yeah, I mean, there have been times I've, I've kind of rolled up into a city, been happy that I had an Airbnb for other reasons, but kind of thought, well, now what? Yeah. Oh, my gosh, I'm I'm in a city. I don't know anyone. You're an island again. <laughs> yeah, you're, and, 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 you know, if you have a wife and kids, okay, you got other people to go out with, but you don't have locals. And so, yeah, I, I, I miss that element of, of community when I'm in Airbnbs that, that hostels provide. And there are... There are a, a lot of Airbnbs that do have, you know, the ones where you rent a room and you can kind of tell <clears throat> that the owner is about a little bit of community. Like, you know, if you can start to read the code in those profiles, you can kind of see that, okay, this one, they are creating a space where they want the people staying there to interact and they're, right. they're creating this, this environment of um, kind of world citizenship and they, and they want you to share. So I look for those types of places and, and actually, you know, We'll talk about in Mexico later, but like last year in Mexico, um, I stayed at a place for two months and it was $12 a night and, and there were three other rooms and I got to meet a few of these other travelers and have drinks with them. So there was a little bit of that community, but still nothing like hostels for me. Yeah. yeah. All right. So you did hostel in Austin after two years, then what did you do next? Right. Or, or did you break out of the two year plan and say, <laughs> yeah. all right, now, now I'm good to go. So that hostel in Austin, what, the, one of the next 
parts that really planted a seed for me was one night we they used they had this dock off of the the hostel because it was on the river there and or Ladybird Lake or the river that comes into that I think it's Ladybird Lake um which is I'm actually probably, technically a lake which is weird it looks like a river right but it's a lake okay is that, I, I, is that the name of it? Yes, right. it's Ladybird. Okay. Le- I, I'm not, all right, now someone's going <laughs> to be like, you guys wrong. are wrong, it's flipped. But yeah. it looks like a river, but is a lake, I think, okay. technically. I, I'm not sure how or why, because I'm not really up on my... Uh, so there used to be a dock going out from that hostel, and it was just rickety, like, probably dangerous. We probably could have fell in. But six or seven of us, so a couple of the guys I met, one was from Ireland, one was from um, the UK, a couple of the girls that I met were from... Um, Eastern Europe. So one night we got a 24 pack of beer and we went and sat on this dock for like three hours and just drank beer and told stories. I didn't have a lot of stories at that point, but you know, it was, another hey guys, one. I went couch surfing in Savannah, <laughs> yeah. Georgia once. It was right. two nights. It was awesome. That's my story. Um, but you know, that was another one of those times where it's like, okay, I'm staying in a hostel for 20 bucks. I, you know, I got a cheap flight. I'm here for a week. Like, and, I, and I'm spending no money to sit and talk with these amazing people with all these experiences. So it was another one of those points where I was like, you know, just hook, line and sinker with, with his, with these alternative travel things that, you know, growing up, I never knew anything about them. So you, and then you, but you had a job and you went back to the job then at that point, what, where was maybe the bigger breaking point of, okay, like this is cool that I did a little bit of this traveling, but what's next like uh, you know for because I'm, I'm guessing it would be like all right now it's time to go international mm-hmm. to a different culture probably gonna need to do that eventually <laughs> yeah right, right like you don't need to but yeah you know the world's a big place get a passport all that so was it difficult like were each of these steps difficult for you yeah okay. um you know to be quite honest um you know, they were growing, growing on each other, but yeah, the international thing was still something to come. So essentially I was pushing. So, so I got a dog when I was 21 years old and he stayed with me for 16 and a half years. Um, the bro dog and he had aggression issues and he had seizures and he had, you know, these things to where I couldn't just kind of hand him off to a friend and be like, Hey, I'm going to go travel for a week. Um, so you know, that was a reality of my life, um, for 16 and a half years as, as a single person, like he was, he was my kid. Um, when he passed away, you know, he and I had had some conversations and, and he, he knew what my plans were one of these days. And when he passed away, I, I kind of, you know, six months of me being bummed out, I was like, all right, I owe it to the bro dog. I need to get on this horse and start doing it. So essentially around 37 years old, I had a friend and this is, this is not staged. I promise. I had a friend who was like, he knew what my goals were. He knew that I had these dreams of, of, of experiencing the world. Um, he's like, Hey, here's two pod. Here, here's a pod. It was one podcast. Actually. He's like, here's a podcast. You should listen to this. And, and I think they have a couple of other ones. And it was location indie. So I started listening to location indie podcast. And then I heard about extra pack of peanuts and you know, Jason's podcast zero to travel. And I started just listening to those like crazy. And that's when I was like, okay, now you got all these ideas in your head and I, and I, and I started, that's kind of when, you know, the nomad experiment, if you want to call it that started for me was, okay, you're, you need to start trying stuff mm-hmm. and pushing that boundaries uh, or that boundary. And so around 30, 37, 38 years old, I, I really started pushing it. And I started that by traveling domestically again, you know, like do what you're comfortable with, 
to get you to the next level. So I started travel hacking a little bit. I remember getting a flight for 15,000 points um, to Portland. And I was just like, oh, Portland's cool. I'll go out there. So I went out there for a week, stayed in some hostels out there. Um, and then had another flight to Philly for 15, which you would probably yell at me for wasting 15,000 points on a trip, trip from Charlotte to Philly because that's just a short domestic trip. Um, but it got me there and it got me outside my comfort zone. And I, and I went to like six cities over eight weeks in the U.S. for for work because I was doing some um, seasonal work at that point. I was trying seasonal work just to because they were going to fly me places. I could work there and then spend a day or two before and after and check out the cities. So that's how I, I continue to push my comfort zone was, okay, at least get comfortable domestically in these cities where you know the currency, you know the language, and just get more comfortable with the mechanics of travel and just start learning about those things before I went international. Um, but then I finally said, okay, you know, if you think you're going to potentially want to live out of a backpack one of these days and be this world traveler, you know, nomad, you probably need to give that a try. You can't just you know, and this was, this was after the van. So we can go back to that. But, um, but essentially I, I said, okay, let's go to Mexico. Um, and I bought a one-way ticket to Mexico to, to just say, how far can you go? Press your, push your comfort zone. If you want to come back after three days, come back after three days. If you want to come back after three weeks, do it, but, but try this, set yourself up for success and, and, and see what happens. And that's when I, took my first or my third trip out was just before my 40th birthday. I went to, to Mexico. Okay. So you had done Canada. Then you had done the, uh, London when you were 25 and then you've basically 15 years later yeah. hit Mexico. How did that trip to Mexico go? It was interesting because, you know, to be quite honest, my, my perceptions were based on politics and, and, and just in my opinion now, incorrect um, misconceptions of Mexico. And that was one of the reasons that I, that's one of the reasons that I'm doing this in my life is I want to expand my mind instead of closing it in. And I think travel does that for people. I know travel does that for people. Um, so, you know, that was part of me going down there was, you know, I wanted to prove that all these misconceptions were wrong. And I did easily. Um, that said, I went into Mexico city, which is one of the more, um, interesting cities and it's a big city, you know, almost 9 million people. So it's as bigger than New York city. Um, so it's a major metropolitan and I saw some, you know, some amazing things and some less than amazing things. And, and, and Mexico city wasn't for me, but I was there for about a week and, and I was talking to some of the folks in, in the hostel that I was in and they're like, well, you know, if this isn't your jam, you should go down to Oaxaca. And I'm like, how do I do that? And they're like, get a bus. And I'm like, how do I do that? And so I had some people like kind of tell me what to do. And I did some more research and I went and got a bus ticket and I went down to Oaxaca, which is like 200,000 people, if that. And I got there and there's no building over like three stories. And I'm like, okay, this is my jam. And, and it, everything kind of slowed down. I met a bunch of people in that hostel that we, we got along really well. And they're still friends to this day. And, um, uh, like five days in, they're like, hey, there's this really cool hostel down in Puerto Escondido. We should all go down there. And I'm like, okay, let's do this. And sure Just enough, latch on, right? Five or six yep. of us, we we left on different days and we ended up down at another hostel in Puerto Escondido. And, uh, and then, you know, three days into that, I cracked a rib surfing for the first time. Like it was my first time surfing. I'd cracked ribs before, but 
and, uh, and <laughs> first time and surfing, then, and then a multiple couple days, times cracking yes. ribs. But and okay. then a couple of days later, I was like, okay, my comfort zone has been demolished, but this these cracked ribs need a comfort zone of my home mattress at that point. So I I decided to cut that um, trip off in about three weeks. So a, a huge success for my first you know international trip to a place where they didn't speak my language or or had the currency, and I had to really you know figure some things out. And when you came home, did that confidence stay or, or did you feel it kind of waning a bit? It, it, after that it stayed, um, I was, I was ready to go back. Uh, and I did go back later that year and I've been back a few times. Um, it's, there is, there's this thing about practice. Uh, you know, I've talked about it before where if you stop doing something for too long, you retract. And so, you know, you crash your comfort zone for, for a month straight in a country that you don't understand with, with, you know, language and currency and all these different things and, and new forms of travel. And then you go back to your comfort zone and, you know, kind of to, to, to the point of what you're asking, you start to settle back in. And so I, I continue to have to battle this to this day, that whole, you know, expansion and contraction thing uh, with my comfort zone. But you know, I went back later that year for uh, two weeks to Medida, Mexico with some friends, you know, that I knew down there. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's an ebb and a flow. I think the more you can do it, the better you get and the more comfortable you get, the more your comfort zone stays opened up instead of retracting or contracting. When you first started, let's say so you were right before you were 40 and you, go, and, and you went to Mexico. And I know that a lot of people... I, fight this battle or I kind of fight it too. Like you wish you had done it more before because then you find something that's cool, right? You're like, oh my gosh, I went international. Like this was amazing. And then you kind of like self-flagellate yourself for saying, well, you're an idiot. Like you're 40. You, you could have started this at 20. What are you doing? How do you deal with that when you say like, oh my gosh, I quote unquote wasted whatever, 20 years of my life when I was, I could have traveled more and I was just too afraid or it was too hard or I was just too content. So I, I know exactly what you're asking. I, I'm, I'm very much the type of person who won't allow myself to regret those decisions in the past, but I will definitely say, okay, now that you've learned this, don't make this same mistake in the future. Luckily, up to that point in my life, I had also sorted out a few other things. When I was 28 years old, I was $50,000 in debt. Um, when I came out of college at 24, because I took the six-year plan, <clears throat> I was $25,000 in debt. So so between four years, I tacked on another 25 of just, you know, spending money on dumb stuff and not paying attention because no one had ever taught me how to budget. So between 28 and 32, I paid off $50,000 worth of debt. So all of those building blocks, whether they were planned or unplanned or, you know, opened my world up to travel at a certain time, like they were necessary for me to then have the opportunity. You know, I, I fought really hard to get that $50,000 down for different reasons. But what happened was, that opened me up to having more possibilities that weren't ever part of my plan. Um, and travel was one of those, even though I, I travel on a very, you know, modest in a very modest way, it still frees you up whenever you don't have to worry about losing money to, you know, debtors and things like that. Um, so there were a lot of things that I'm happy they worked out the way they did and travel 
you know, wasn't a part of that. But I guess to answer your question, now my goal is to make sure that nobody, that as few people possible end up doing it the way that I did. I would rather people that are, you know, 15, 20, 25 years old start learning now how to, to short, you know, to do this quickly as opposed to passively going through life and then ending up at 35 or 40 years old and going, Oh, I mean now in the past three or four years, I've done more in my past three or four years than I ever thought I would in my entire life and, and still on a modest means. Um, so I don't regret those things at all because now I see what the potential is. And, and now I see that this is actually the beginning of, you know, I've said it before, you know, w- these are all blips on a long timeline of life. So we tend to, we tend to over exaggerate a decision in the moment. And then when we look back on it 10 years later, we're like, man, that was kind of a small thing. So I know the potential of what's in front of me. And I, and I like to encourage people like, you know, quit worrying about the past, quit worrying about that decision you made that didn't work out or this or the other, like, what can you do now? And what can you do tomorrow? Because in the next five years, you could be doing so many crazy things that you never thought possible if you just get started. Yeah. I think that's a super positive mindset to have of like, all right, all this stuff happened for a reason. I did other things that I'm proud of, even if I wasn't traveling. And it allowed me to then get to a point that when I wanted to travel, I was able to do it because I had accomplished those other things. Even if at 20, you didn't look ahead and say, hey, in the next 20 years, I'm going to go into debt, pay it off, then get the confidence and then travel. But it was building towards that goal without knowing it. And and to add to that, I think a lot of people... And when I say a lot of people like it's because I've been through this and I, and I, I know I sure as heck hope somebody out there is thinking the same way I am from time to time or else I'm you know, on an island. I think a lot of people undervalue what they've learned and what potential they have for different jobs, for pivoting, for all these different things. Um, and it makes them a little bit scared to change when in reality, if you've done something before in your life you can probably do it again and you can probably do it better. So, you know, there's a number out there that says the average American holds 15 jobs over the course of their lifetime. Um, And that's, you know, I'm assuming that's like real jobs, not slinging pizzas when you're 15 years old, 16 years old. So the fact that Americans are going to change jobs, you're going to have these, these, these pivot points in your life, like embrace that reality and also look at, you know, if you are 30, 35, 40 years old, look at all that real or that, that, that past experience that can be used in the future. Um, I like to say, you know, if your life costs less, you can make less. So, and I know that sounds really simple, but I think it's missed a lot where it's like, you know, if your life costs a hundred thousand dollars a year, well take, you know, change your job to where your life is better, but you might be making $15,000 less. And that was just a round number, but, and, and spend less. And it's like, okay, well now you're happier, you have more opportunities and your life hasn't changed very much because you, you, you simply adjusted where you needed to adjust. And you know, it's, those things sound really simple and easy and almost silly, but they are, they're very important for perspective. Well, and simple to do hard to implement yes. because it's telling someone like, Hey, cut your $15,000. It's like, well, yeah, I understand that, but then go to your budget. All right. That's, you know, $1,200 a month. All right, what are you cutting out? It's not like, oh, I cut out Netflix, so I'm saving myself $10 this month. You know, that might be part of it, but that's a that's a big chunk. And I, I'm with you that 
just taking scope of what you're prioritizing is is really important. Yep. And if you are prioritizing travel, you're going to make decisions around that that probably most people, unless you're hanging out with a group of travelers, which is great, but you know, when you're in your quote unquote regular life, if you're p- playing that game where you know, you're going to have the same car as them, and the same clothes and the same house and this and that, and you're all making about the same amount and they're not traveling. Well, guess what? You're not going to travel either because you're all spending on the same thing. And you made a bit of a shift in that regard Mm -hmm. in your life pretty recently. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was, um, 37, 38, I used to work on a lot of, um, I used to be a, a environmental graphic designer. So that's super nerdy talk for somebody who designs sign programs. So when you walk through an airport, like you have thousands of signs and somebody had to design what they look like and what they say and where they go and make sure that they go in the right place. I used to do that for, you know, a lot of airports and be on big teams. Well, those projects take three to five to six years per project. And, and I had recurring projects, uh, architects coming to me and saying, Hey, you want to be on this next one? Hey, you want to be on this next one? So when you have a, a four or five year project and you start it and then two weeks in, two years in, you get another four or five year project and then you two, two years, you get this cycle of great and great um, uh, financial security or, or at least meeting your minimum, but you also can't get out. Um, and that's where I was at, you know, for 10 years, I was in these projects and every few years I would have this point of inflection where it's like, okay, we have this other big project. Do you want on or do you, or, or do you not? And I would always say, well, it's a lot safer for me to, to get this project and I know what I'm doing and it's not, it's not scaring me. So yes, I'm on. And, and I, I remember having that same point five years prior and I, and I took the contract and then, you know, 37, 38 years old, I was, I had the same point. I had two of my architects coming to me and they wanted me on a proposal for each one of them, but it was for the same project and it was a five-year project. So I was definitely going to get this project because they were the two architects that were going for it. And I, I had to call them both on the same day and say, and I say, I'm, I'm not going to be on this project because I'm, I'm making a change in my life. Um, I still get choked up about it to this day because it scares me even saying it out loud. Like I, I told them both, like, I'm not going to be on this project. I'm changing to prioritize travel and, and being location independent. That's not going to allow me to be on these projects. And one of them actually got mad at me because or one of the architects got mad at me because he heard it from his coworker that I wasn't going to be on the project. And he thought that I just didn't want to work with them. I went to their office. I was like, no, I'm, I'm making a conscious choice in my life. And I'm, I'm like, I love working with you guys, but this is something that I need to do right now. And essentially over the next nine or 10 months, my, my income dipped to zero. I started eating into savings. And finally I started to work back to getting to my status quo, but it was with the freedom of movement that was, that meant I could work from anywhere in the world. And every one of those relationships starting from there forward, as far as projects, the first thing that I said was, if we're going to work together, understand that I might be working from anywhere in the world. Right now I'm still working for Charlotte. At that point I was still working for Charlotte, but I was setting myself up Mm. for that possibility in the future. What does that look like for you working now location independent? Like what are the, I mean, well, we know, we know some of the big pros. I mean, the biggest pro, okay, you can be wherever you want. But what are some of the realities of that look like now that you've been doing it for a couple of years? Um, so that was when I was 37, 38. Um, I'm 43 now. I, I sold my house two years ago. Um, I had pushed my comfort zone 
So the, the previous two years, I had challenged myself not to sleep in my own bed one quarter of the year, which was like 92 days. And then the following year, I said, all right, well, if you're not getting better, you're staying the same. So what are you going to do now? And I said, all right, one third of the year. So it was 122 days. So back to back years, I was not in my bed for, for that many days. And by the time I got done with that, my the, the stress linchpin of travel to me had flipped. I had I had finally gotten so comfortable and so uh, enjoying travel so much that I remember when I was like early 30s, I would be on a trip and I'm like, I want to go home. I want to go back to my comfort zone. I want to go back to my house. And now I was on, I was traveling and I'm like, I don't want to go home. Like I want Mm. this and I want to like, I'm stressing about my house and my lawn's growing and my roof's getting worse and that tree might fall on it. Like the house was more of a stressor than than I wanted in the day to day stress of yeah, figuring and, and out that's travel. What, and that's when I said, okay, I'm, I'm ready to get rid of this house. And so I sold my house two years ago and I've been location independent ever since or nomadic ever since. And, and there's, I always tell people it's, it's just a, there are still the ups and downs of normal life. Your location just changes a lot more. Um, you know, you're not going to get rid of insecurities or, or financial problems or work problems or like all of those things are still going to be there, but you're going to have a, 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 the opportunity to, to put it into a different place or to, to flex and move a little bit more. So it's not necessarily easier. It's just a lot more interesting. Um, now the logistics of being a digital nomad and making sure you have Wi-Fi or making sure you have a good place to sleep. Like I think, you know, Instagram and, and all these things still really do glorify it uh, much more than it actually is. You know, I've never worked f- with my computer on a beach because that's a terrible idea with a, you know, very hard to computer. see the screen. You very hard see to screen. see like sand in a keyboard or in a, in a drive, like pretty much screws a computer. So like, there's all those things where it's like, that's just not the reality of somebody who lives location independence. It's, it's really, it, it's really a matter of budgeting. Well, just like you should be in normal life. It's a matter of, you know, exercising just like you should in normal life. It's, it's all these different things that you should be doing is you're just doing them in a little bit different location. What do you think for you? Because I love the idea with nomad experiment, not experience guys. Cause I know you get that all the time, right? Just like I get called Trevor sometimes. I'm like it's Travis. Yeah. You've known me for 30 years. Please don't call me Trevor. My uncle's friend calls me Trevor to this day. I've known him for 30 years. It's not Trevor, man. Uh, nomad experiment, but your, your whole idea. And ever since I first met you was this is an experiment. Like I'm experimenting with life. And I'm looking at it through that lens of, here's an experiment. I'm going to Savannah, Georgia. Here's an experiment. I'm going to a hostel. Here's an experiment. I'm going international. Here's an experiment. I'm living in a van. Here's an experiment. I'm selling my house and living in my Jeep or, or being, well, I mean, your friend, right? Says that you only live in your Jeep, right? But, (laughs) you know, but I'm being location independent. So I'll, I'll hop around. What do you think, for the future, like what are some experiments that you have that you say, all right, I've pushed my comfort zone certain ways. I still know that this would push it to the next level. So first, an important thing, like I didn't stumble upon that experiment mentality until about four years ago, four and a half years ago. And when I had that epiphany, it was world changing for me because I am so analytical and I am so in my own head. And I know a lot of people are this way where they'll just, 
you know, I'm a devil's advocate on everything. I want to see all the angles. I want to understand every single aspect of it. And that's exhausting. It's also, it impedes movement a lot of times. Um, It impedes decision-making. So that was what I was dealing with for the first 37, 38 years when I was, I remember talking to my mom, like, (laughs) feel like I was a 13 year old kid going through girl problems when I'm 38 years old and I'm sitting there talking to my mom about, you know, what I was doing. And I was like, you know, I'm not a digital nomad. I don't even know what that is. I'm like, this is more like an experiment. It's like a nomad experiment. And all these bells and whistles went off in my head. And I was just like, oh my gosh, that sounds so right. Because what that does, and, and, and the reason I'm explaining this is I think this is important for people to embrace. Like, you know, you're listening to this right now, Take this idea and run with it if it gives you the freedom to try stuff. Because now, and and especially during these first four years when I was buying one-way tickets to Mexico and, and all of my coworkers were like, you're doing what? Like, I was getting all these crazy side eyes like, oh, are you insane? It's like, don't worry, guys. It's just in a little experiment. I'm just going to go for a couple of weeks, test it out. I'll be back and I'll figure out what's next. So it's not only disarming for you, it gives you the ability to try some things that were really outside of your norm. But it, it can also really disarm your family and friends. And especially when you're trying something that is not their mainstream, it's not, you know, something that they're comfortable with, you're going to get a lot of pushback. And that's that can be really detrimental to somebody who's trying something new, not having somebody around them support them or understand what they're doing. Yeah, because you're you're subconsciously probably looking for reasons that it might not work if you're afraid of it. And if someone comes to you and is like, have you thought of this? And then you think, oh, my family isn't supportive of this okay, I'm done, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think that's a great way to put it, that you are disarming everyone in the situation, yourself and everyone else, by just saying, hey, it's an experiment. Everyone knows that some experiments won't work or or, or won't, like, No, the they hypo- do work. That's the, that's the thing. Yeah, the it's hypothesis. It's no longer black and white. Sure. It, it's just a fact-finding mission. Mm, yeah, okay, I love that. Yeah, yeah I'm just going to try it. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. Yep. We're not saying it has to be this, right? This is our hypothesis of what might happen. If it doesn't, okay, yep. Yep. we'll figure out what does happen. Mm-hmm. So what are those experiments for you? Do you have a little bit of a laundry list or are there things that you're saying, I really want to do this over the next couple of years? So there's a nice thing about having never traveled is that you really shouldn't complain about where you're traveling to, just like you haven't been anywhere. Just, just start going places. So for me, you know, really what's driving where I might go next is the financials of it, you know, making sure that a, I can afford it, that it's a good place to go hang out for a few months and, and, and experience a place like number one, I don't, I don't enjoy traveling quick. I want to travel slow. I want to go experience a place for a month or two at a time. So like I mentioned that I was in uh, Querétaro, Mexico for two months last year. And that was my first true digital nomad stint of just choosing a place and living there and getting to know the locals and getting, you know, seeing the same people every day and and learning their names and talking to them and and learning Spanish alongside of them and actually living there and and maybe going on a side trip. So I went on like two side trips to San Miguel de Allende and Guanajuato while I was there. So it was really like I was living there and I said, Hey, let's go on a vacation to this place that's four hours away and and hang out. So for me, moving forward, it's a matter of just trying new places. Um, Who knows where I want to end up one of these days. If I do want to settle down somewhere, I need to try a lot of new places and meet a lot of new people. So, um, you know, Eastern Europe is, is a, is a very cost effective place. And it, you know, once the world opens back up, you know, with COVID and and everybody's a little bit safer, um, 
you know, that's a good place that, that I want to go try out. And then, um, cheap tattoos, cheap dental work, cheap tattoos, I mean, cheap, co- yeah. cheap pork knuckles, $5, $5 pork, pork knuckle. Knuckles. Come on. I mean, <laughs> what more do you want? Um, so, so no, that, you know, obviously that's a whole nother story. Uh, when I was driving across the U S I, when I sold my house, I decided to drive across the U S and you mentioned that I had built out my Jeep to where I can live in the back of my four door Jeep and sleep back there. Um, I did buy the van, uh, a couple years ago, tried it for six months. It was a 35 year old van. It was a POS and, and it, I got 10 miles a gallon. So I, I learned that I did enjoy that opportunity to be able to work out of my vehicle and travel. But in the future, it was going to need to be something that's um, going to run and, you know, make <laughs> like make me have some confidence in it. So I built out the back of my Jeep. And, and when I sold my house, I, I downsized to essentially what fit into the back of my Jeep. And I, I drove across the U.S. for a couple of months and and, you know, kind of worked, worked, worked out of the Jeep. While I was on that trip, I had a bum tooth and and that essentially I had a bad a root canal that had gone bad. And they're like, yeah, it happens. And it's a tooth in the back of my mouth. And they're like, here's how much it's going to cost to pull that tooth and get an implant because you need an implant. You know, you still got many years and good teeth, so you don't want to just leave a hole there. And then it was going to cost $6,000 in the U.S. And that was with dental insurance, which is a joke. Um, Jason Moore uh, with uh, Zero to Travel had 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 a, a podcast like a month or two prior where he was talking about medical tourism. And I said, well, I don't got $6,000 to spend on a, on a tooth that isn't even there anymore. What are my options? And I started researching it and I, I learned that Budapest um, was one of the places where all the Europeans go because their dental program is amazing. And I said, well, how much is that going to cost? And the same procedure over there is like $1,400 and it was like $6,000 in the U S and that's without insurance. And I said, well, I guess I'm going to Budapest. And so after that road trip, I flew over to Europe for two months and I, this is where I used your, uh, frequent flyer boot camp. Okay. I, I booked a, a 60,000 point flight, which is typical for you zone one in Europe or Europe zone. And I booked it to Budapest, but I, I did a two week stopover in Ireland. So that flight, I stopped for two weeks in Ireland and explored Ireland. And then I finished that flight to Budapest. And then I took trains all the way across Europe from Budapest to Paris. And I finished that trip flying from Paris to Charlotte, but it was all 60,000 points. Stop over an open jaw trick. <laughs> Love it. it. Three you, vacations brother. for the price of one. I learned it from you, brother. <laughs> awesome. I didn't even know that. I yeah. didn't. Okay. So you, you did that and you went to Budapest. You got the, you got the teeth pulled. Tooth got pulled. a tattoo. Got a tattoo. Well, real quick. I mean, we're not going to talk about medical tourism too much, but this has always intrigued me. What was that experience like? Because some people, even me, I'm going to piss off a lot of American dentists. Well, even me, I'm like, well, I've never done medical tourism and I I want to, because I want to, I want to experiment. I I really, Mm -hmm. truly think it's cool to be like a guinea pig and do that. And then tell all of you in a podcast, the experience, but I haven't had the chance to do it yet. So we're, I mean, there had to be some trepidation, like, even though you read all the dental programs are great. Are are you like, what am I walking into here? No, I wasn't concerned at all. Really? Number one, because I did a little bit of research and, and, and I had somebody who, you know, showed me what resources to look down. So that was fresh in my mind. So I, I went down those resources and essentially, you know, there's two or three countries around the world that aren't the U S that have really great dental programs that are also very cost effective. So, um, Costa Rica is one of them. 
Um, San Jose is a place where a lot of people go to get... Um, I actually met a guy when I was in Costa Rica who got a lot of dental work yeah. in San Jose. It's very, very cost effective and, and their their dentists are supposed to be, so far as this part of the world, very good. Um, when I started doing the research, it was clear that Budapest was a place where there was, you know, a, it it was a medical tourism hotspot. And I know that that term has changed from time to time, but that's where a lot of people in Europe went. So it's like, okay, well, they're all going there. So that elevates it in my comfort zone. And then the place that I actually worked with, they had a representative who lived in the United States and their entire job was to make sure that that was a smooth experience, sorry, a, a smooth experience so that, you have all your ducks in a row before you ever go there. So, so she set up when the appointments were going to be, when I knew that I was going to Budapest, they sent me a 10 page PDF of, of maps of the airport. They picked me up at the airport to take me. Then they do this for every, every one of their cost, their um, clients to make sure that that experience, cause some people will go there for three days just, just to get the dental work done because it's still less expensive. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I'm going to go back there for three trips and even when I add up what it's going to cost me to go there and to stay there, it's still going to be one third less than the total cost of getting that stuff done here. So beyond that, the actual experience at the dental office, you know, maybe let's, let's assume I've had bad dentists in the U S and they were terrible examples. Um, th- th- it was the best dental experience I've ever had in my entire life. Uh, absolutely. All right, just we're going to Budapest. Up. Heather, Heather has a root amazing. canal; she has to get figured out. And, and I got uh, a tooth pulled, and, and I mean, it was amazing. Um, and so I look forward to going back. Unfortunately, immediately following that, COVID hit, and I've been able to travel back to start finishing that up. But you know, and 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 it really did make me feel like I was pushing the boundaries of this nomadic lifestyle and starting to do some of those things that you hear about all these nomads that have been doing it for 20 years. Like, Oh yeah, you don't need travel insurance, blah, blah, blah. You just go to this country and do the things. And it's like, no, I still need travel insurance. I need to be comfortable and I need to, you know, I need to build up to that reality. Um, and so this was one of those door opening things. And obviously now I'm, I'm type one diabetic. So that, has completely changed my view of, of travel and medical and, and the things that need that I need to make me not only feel comfortable, but, you know, get me through if there's an emergency in the short term until I learn how to travel with this new thing. Um, but no, it was a, it was a great experience. And, um, and I actually just checked a month ago to make sure that that clinic was still open, you know, through COVID and hadn't had any downturns or anything. And I'm looking forward to heading back. <laughs> I mean, it seems so <laughs> obvious to me, but I, it was shocking when you said they had a representative in the U.S. who would who would figure it out and, you know, maybe not meet. Did you guys meet in person? No. I assume not. But, mm-hmm. you know, who was on the same time zone, speak mm-hmm. English really well and, and just figure, you know, know what it would be like, what someone in the U.S. or Europe would, you know, Western Europe would expect and then replicate that. Well, no, duh, Trav, that that would be a smart business decision. But when you said I was like, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And. Um, I, I definitely, at some point in my life, will do some sort of medical tourism somewhere. A, I love saving money, but B, I want the experience. I want to be able to tell people from my own perspective, yes, this is okay. Here are the steps I followed. Here's what happened. Um, and I would say, yeah, on for you, I mean, that is a, that's a next level type travel thing. Like you get, you get some props for that, man. That, <laughs> that we're going to, that's a next level. Nice. I mean, you're not many people would do that. I don't think. I think there's a lot of people who would have trepidation towards that 
myself included, even though I'm saying I want to. So, so it's funny before we started talking today, you're like, yeah, you know, you, you have anxiety or you had, you know, trepidation about travel. You're like, ah, I just, I just don't that. I've never had that. And now we found something that you yeah. actually do. Yeah. I mean, especially if I was going for a big time surgery, you know, um, long story short, I blew my knee out when I was in college and had I, and I had really crappy student insurance. Had I known that was 15 years ago or whatever, had I known what I know now, yeah. Like if that same thing happened today, I'd be on a plane. Mm-hmm. I'd be going somewhere. I'd be like, cool. I'll get, I'll, I'll come home bionic. This is great. <laughs> you know, I don't think they're there yet, but I like where you're you never, at. You never know. Go to Eastern Europe. Who knows what's going to happen? But, um, yep. yeah, that, that's, that's a really interesting, uh, perspective and really cool that it was even way less cheap, way cheaper, but actually way better of yeah. an experience as well. And you talk about this experiment. One of the experiments that you're doing with writing the book is its own experiment. Mm-hmm. It's not a travel experience per se or experiment per se, but let's kind of finish up with that. I mean, tackling the a book project is one thing. Tackling a book project in the way that you're tackling it, which has a lot of moving parts because it's not your typical, hey, here's a narrative book, just read through it, mm-hmm. it is a whole nother thing. Yeah, it's not fiction. It's, you know, nonfiction, step-by-step kind of a guide for, for folks. So this book is this book is a conglomeration of what I had to go through to get myself to where I'm at, but it took me like six or seven years to break, or 10 or 15 years to, to break down these hurdles. And again, my goal, even before I knew that I was going to write a book, my goal is to share my experiences with people and and try and get them outside of their comfort zone to be doing this stuff earlier in their lives. And um, But essentially, it ended up turning into this book where I... I remember having a conversation with my mom about a year and a half, two years ago, and my mom's, you know, early 60s, and I said, you know, she was talking about going to visit her sister in, in Arizona, and I said, well, what's stopping you? And, and and I could tell that she she had trepidation about travel, and, and, and she's like, I haven't even been in an airport in 15 years, and I thought that's what it was. I thought it was, I thought it was fear of the unknown. Uh, um, it, it was just this overwhelm of having not done this in so long but it was coming from a different place than mine was and when she said that she's like I haven't even been in an airport in 15 years like an international airport or a big airport and and I was like okay I'm like she's 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 not even able to get to the idea of buying a ticket or how good it's going to be to go see her family because this hurdle is so close in and and giving her some so I'm like, there have to, there has to be other people that even some of these really, you know, to you as a world traveler, like you, you could probably go through any airport blindfolded and, and, and do it so simply. But a lot of people, like if they, hopefully never- I'm not getting blindfolded in the airport because <laughs> right. it means I'm getting interrogated <laughs> and I'm somewhere I don't want to be. Yeah. But, but you know, I think there's things like that or understanding customs and immigration or what that might look like or getting a passport or, or what a visa even is that, and that's international travel stuff, but still there's these things where knowledge is power. And, and I really wanted to wrap all of this stuff up in a book where it's like, if you've never traveled much and this, it's called the beginner's uh, the beginner traveler's guide to going nomad, which is, which are like almost two conflicting ideas, but you know, number one, what is a beginner traveler? For me, a beginner intermediate traveler is that person who only travels once or twice a year. And if they do, they might be going to like the resort 
or they're a going cruise or a cruise or, or, or they're just going to see family, say, yeah. something easy. But, but what that does is it doesn't allow you to get comfortable and in the zone of travel. So almost every time you do it, you're like, you start stressing out a day or two beforehand and you're like, Oh gosh, you know, and it becomes a burden because you don't have that practice. And I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of people that they see this, you know, number one with COVID and the rise of remote work and the reality that the word nomad or digital nomad has been, you know, on people's minds for five or 10 years now, people are seeing this opportunity, but they still, they're like, that's still intangible to me. There's, I don't understand what that is. So this book is, is about reducing all those hurdles and getting somebody understanding their travel game and breaking into their travel game. This is a workbook. It's a journal. It's not just a bunch of words. It's like, you know, write down, you can personalize it to your style so that that's the most important thing. I don't, you don't care how I travel. I want you to figure out how how you're best going to travel. So this book is about the person who's reading it and getting them started into travel. And then it's a matter of rinsing and repeating. Like once you get into it, it's just a matter of doing it more and more. And then as far as a nomad goes or somebody who decides to be location independent, they're just doing it on a longer time frame. And that allows them to amortize money and flights and, and just live in a place instead of spending a lot of money to go to a place. And so, so it's really just a matter of, of extending those time frames and starting to learn a few more details. And in my mind, that's how you go nomadic is you just kind of do what I did where you, you practice, you practice some more. And then all of a sudden you go, I don't need my house anymore. I got all the fundamentals. I just got to put this into practice. So yeah, it's practice is a word that I've never heard with travel before, <laughs> but it makes sense. If you want to get better at something, you have to figure out what are the easiest steps I can take to do this. And then can I do it again? And can it, and, and tweak it a little bit to make it a, a little mm-hmm. harder on you. Okay. Can I do it again? And I've never thought of travel that way because we're different types of people, right? Mm -hmm. I just, as soon as I got bit by the travel bug, kind of like I do anything, I was like, all in, don't Mm -hmm. care, do it all. But for you, what's so awesome about hearing your journey and knowing a bit of it, but really actually unpacking a lot more of it during this this conversation is that you can be systematic about it. Mm -hmm. You can say, all right, yeah, I'm not ready to fly to Budapest and get my tooth pulled because I've never been out of the country, but let me take a week trip to Austin and stay in a hostel or book an Airbnb for the first time. Maybe that's a new concept or um, rent a car for the first, you know, there's all these firsts that are going to happen. You don't have to do all the first all at once. Pick one first or two first and do it on one trip, rinse, repeat, add something else in, add something else in, practice, build up that muscle and then you get to a point where you're saying, okay, now I feel pretty confident at this level. What takes me to the next? Yeah. I think, you know, a lot of this is just getting out of your own way and, and not worrying as much about what other people are thinking or what they might think is silly. You just made me think of um, one of our friends in our network. Uh, I asked a few weeks ago, I, I posted something on, on social media and I said, I, there, a picture came up of me riding a scooter in Denver at Den X. That was the first time that I had written a scooter and, and I put it out there. I said, I remember this. This was the first time I rode a scooter. One of these rental scooters that you, you know, you know, go from point A to point B and leave the scooter there. And I was worried about it. Like I didn't know how I seen all these people zipping around, but I was worried about giving it a try myself. And I'm like, dude, you're 42 years old. You're agile. Like, do the damn scooter and I did it and I'm you like might crack a rib I'm like but this hey. is the most fun thing I've ever done like zipping up and down and I, and I remember that 
vividly. And I, somebody in our group responded and said, I still haven't ridden one. I'm scared of it. And, mm-hmm. and it was a person that it really caught me off guard. I'm like, wow, that, you know, you get your butt out there and do it. So, I mean, it's this thing of like, not only are you dealing with yourself, but you, you're dealing with how you might feel like you're being perceived and, and, yeah, you can be the most self-confident person all day long, but that stuff goes through your mind is, you know, how am I going to be received when I do this? So, you know, it's really just a lot of getting out of your own way and, and, you know, dancing to your own tune and getting comfortable with that because pretty soon everybody's going to be looking at you like, Oh wow, you did this thing. Teach me how to do that. Or, you know, so, um, yeah, it's one of the things that came to my mind when you were just talking about that as well, is there's power in doing things in things in groups Mm -hmm. and you mentioned you know you're mostly a solo traveler and I give a lot of props to that because I have not done that much solo travel and I think a lot of my confidence is gleaned from having another person that I'm traveling with because it's a built-in support system it's a built-in kind of uh, oh I'm not going to worry about myself because I'm worrying about this other person even if that's not true like you Mm -hmm. you know it's a lie you tell yourself um but you know uh, especially doing new things like that, like like getting on a scooter. And there have been plenty of times when I've been in a group, for example, when, when I first started surfing, the first day I went out and surfed was because my buddy was like, well, why don't you come out with me? And I thought it was just him and I. It, this is an example of, of not knowing it, but I thought it would be him and I. So I'm like, fine. And he's like, all right, walk down here. I said, okay. He's like, yeah, we've got like seven people out. And I thought, oh, no, 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 no. What? Like, but, and, and, but then I was out there and all of them were giving me advice. And all of a sudden I felt like, all right, well, they all know I'm new. Like they're not going to throw shade at me. Like I'm just a new guy here. You know, they all felt that before. And so one of the ways that you can kind of fight against this, as you mentioned, hostels, I mean, taking group trips. Now I've done a few of those. That's not my normal style, but there's plenty of people out there who are like, I'm going to go on a cruise because I know things are going to get taken care of for me. I'm going to go on one of these group package tours. And, and, you know, I think they expect to hear from me or maybe you now, oh, that, you know, oh, come on, that's not real travel. It's like, no, I'm just telling you to dip your toe in the water and push your comfort zone however that feels for you. And whether that's a cruise because you've never been outside the country and they're going to take you to a few countries or whether that is a group trip, do it. It's do, fine. Do the things you need to do to get you to the next level and then continue to expand from there. And, and that's, that's the point of it is, you know, I, I think stagnation is, is the enemy. So, you know, for me personally, I look at what I did last year and I say, oh, how are you going to one up this this year? Even if it's just the most minuscule thing, like don't stagnate, don't allow yourself to, to, to retract and just keep pushing that a little bit. And as, so far as travel goes, number one, that experiment mindset of, you know, you going out there, essentially what you did by telling those guys or those surfers that you were a newbie was saying, this is my first experiment into surfing. And that disarmed them. It disarmed you. It gave you the opportunity to fall on your face a million times because they're like, oh, he's new at this. Like that is completely acceptable if you're trying something new. So yeah, that, you know, that, that mindset is super helpful in these instances. So we've got the book. If you're listening live, it's on Kickstarter. If you're listening later, it'll be a book. You can still go to the Kickstarter and, and it'll lead you everywhere you need to, to find it. Um, yeah. So if people are interested, what is the best way for them to go find the book? Right, whether Again, whether it's 
live on Kickstarter or whether the Kickstarter is finished, fully funded, super successful Kickstarter is mm-hmm. finished, and then it's just a book that's out in the world. Where are they going to go to find this stuff? Um, so the best place is on Instagram uh, at the Nomad Experiment, and not know, experience. No, the Nomad experiment yes the nomad experiment and you know i have a link in the bio there that's the easiest quickest way to go um feel free to follow me that'd be great um on my instagram i use instagram not only as you know photos but i i like to write i like to tell stories and talk about this kind of you know i don't like the word vulnerable just because it's one of those buzzwords but but it's true let's talk about all this stuff like let's get it out there because the more we normalize you know, fear, trepidation, or just realities of life, that life is messy and that we're all going through the same stuff, the easier it makes for us to get, get over those next things and, and to band together. And so I talk about a lot of um, that kind of stuff on there. Uh, I will say that, you know, this book is not your typical book. Uh, I think, you know, Trav, you've read a, a good bit of it and it is, you know, I, I write the way I talk. And for me, you know, brass tacks, tough love and being like, all right, just get your ass out there and start doing this. Like that's one side of it, but it's also a matter of here's the steps and you know, let, how can we design this book in a fun way where people don't want to put it down? So it's not just words on a page. It's like, you know, there's a lot of motivation, inspiration and big quotes and just juicy stuff in there that, that I think it, it makes it fun to go through this journey and, to, and to, you know, go from the start to finish and then maybe do it again. Also because of your design background, because you are a graphic designer, it is not a typical, Hey, there's, you know, just lines on a page you've done, you've gussied this thing up, right? <laughs> I mean, h- how would you describe it in your own words I'm, of what it's like? I'm going to now describe it as wickedly gussied up, <laughs> a wickedly gussy up, gussied up book. But yeah, I mean, it's, it is meant to pop. It is meant to grab your attention. It is not meant to, Hey, I'm just going to go down this page and it's going to take me a minute and a half to read. And then I go to the next page, minute and a half to read. Boom, boom, boom. Like you said, there's activities, there's exercises, there's, there's words that are, I don't know. I, I saw the one, the first image you ever sent me. I mean, it has to be size like 128 <laughs> font or something where it just says something about pushing your comfort yeah. zone, like this huge quote. And I'm like, Whoa, this is like this is jumping out at me. So it's a fun book too. It's a little bit in your face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fun to create, fun to read. Guys, check it out at thenomadexperiment.com. J-Rob, obviously super thankful. A, that you came down here. J-Rob's cooking me dinner tonight. So like not only is he a podcast guest. <laughs> I think guest, I cooked you dinner last Oh, no. Okay. I, I didn't I eat the pizza. Dinner last I, I was not <laughs> eating carbs. It looked delicious. But tonight we're doing grilled pineapple, seafood, I mean veggies. So I am I am getting the full treatment. Mm-hmm. I talk him into surfing with me and he didn't break a rib. I talk him into doing a podcast episode and now I get a dinner. So yeah. I mean I'm the luckiest man in the you world. You are right welcome now. to invite me back to the beach anytime. Awesome. <laughs> I'll cook you dinner again. Awesome. Check guys check it out at the Nomad Experiment. And also if if you are listening when this first comes out, a lot of you listen right away. Um that's awesome. Check it out on Kickstarter. Super helpful, right? So the, Is there anything? The, the Kickstarter closes May 14th. Okay. What should people know if they're unfamiliar with Kickstarter? Is there anything, tips, tricks? So Kickstarter Kickstarter is a platform for independent creators of many different things. This just happens to be a book, but it's, it's a place for independent creators to get essentially for this, you might be pre-ordering a book. So you're spending, you know, 20 bucks or so on a book that allows me to get the funds to produce it in a, in a, 
really good way instead of doing something that, you know, might be print on demand or, or a little bit of a lesser product. Like as a graphic designer, I want to put something in people's hands that they, they love. And this is an opportunity to, for me to do that. So, you know, Kickstarters get on there, they, they spend 20, 25 bucks to get a, a copy pre-ordered. And then once that Kickstarter funds and those funds are available to me, I get the book printed, send it to them uh, right now, uh, everybody should have their book by the end of July. And so it's an opportunity for people that don't have a publisher or, you know, there's such a small percentage of people that actually have publishers. Um, this is an opportunity for, for us. Awesome. So May 14th, 2021, it closes and you'll get your book end of July. -ish. July yep. Awesome. Check it out guys at the nomad experiment.com. You can also find everything linked up in the show notes at extra pack of peanuts.com slash shows. J Rob, Thanks, my man. Thanks for being an awesome guest. Thanks for being a listener even well before we knew each other. That's always helpful. And uh, for supporting one of the top travel podcasts out there. Guys, until next time, happy free travels. Lightning struck in an open plain And we forgot this old city's name See your breath on window pane Let's us talk till it strikes again on my way through. I saw you on my way through on my way. I saw you and I'll see you again someday.